Okay, so you've got a podcast where every week you relive the UK Top 40 singles chart from 20 years ago. That don't impress me much. The 2000 Chart Show. The 2000 Chart Show. That's right. Indeed, I do have a podcast where every week we relive the UK Top 40 singles chart from 20 years previously. That podcast is the 2000 Chart Show, and you're listening to it right now. What are the chances? I am journalist and pet shop boy, Samuel Spencer. And if that cryptic intro didn't clue you in, this week we have new singles from Shania Twain, Lamar, Westlife, the Pet Shop Boys and Kelly Clarkson. But we are starting with, at number 40, our first new entry. This is Born Again by Star Sailor. said of Star Sailor, here at Enemy, we like our rock stars dysfunctional, booze-addled, and should the notion take them, partial to the odd cheeky line of ants. I think that's a reference to an old urban legend about a rock star who couldn't find any cocaine so started snorting ants. Anyway, Star Sailor, as everyone knows, are none of these things. However, if there's one thing that'll toughen a band up, it's working with renowned nutter and occasional genius producer Phil Spector. What they didn't include there was soon-to-be-convicted murderer. See our previous mention of Star Sailor for that. What takes more balls, though enemy continues is firing the mad old bastard clearly star sailor are not the toothless indie boys so many once took them for that's right star sailor did work with phil Spector, the producer best known for creating the iconic wall of sound sound in the 60s apparently they were having drinks after a gig in los angeles and a woman introduced herself as nicole Spector, who said to them my dad's a big fan of yours Would you like to meet him? Already at this point, Phil Spector's slight obsession with guns was known. It was said the previous major album he had produced before Star Sailor was the Ramones' 1980 album End of the Century, and those sessions apparently ended with him pulling a gun on one of the Ramones. And the recording schedule was certainly eccentric. He recorded with them in the UK, but would only work between the hours of 6pm and 4 in the morning, with the band suspecting that he may just not like daylight. So things started well with Phil Spector, but then the band started to notice differences with him. Around the same time, he would say that he was on medication for schizophrenia. And one of the band members says of working with Spector that it gradually became a very strange experience. It was like working with a completely different person day to day. Of firing them, they said, I shot two straight brandies and just said, Phil, it has been great working with you, but we feel we need to carry on. Apparently he accepted at the time, saying, I understand this is your baby and it's your dream. But apparently the next time they met, he wasn't very amicable, which seems like a big understatement from Star Sailor. Summing up the whole experience, Star Sailor said, it's just as well you can't get guns in London, which is nice. Just nice bit of making light of a uh, murderer there. Lovely stuff. The album that Spectre worked on, Silence is Easy, by the way, gave Star Sailor their... Biggest hit to that date, their number nine track Silence is Easy, which talked about in September. They were going to have four more UK top 40s, including their best song, in my opinion, in March 2004, Four to the Floor. And to my knowledge, none of those would be working with producers who would end up to murder people. Although I guess, of course, time will only tell whether that ends up being true. What is true, however, is that 39 and 38 on this week's chart 20 years ago were both absolute bangers. At 39 in its fourth week, 
State of Mind by Holly Valance, and at 38 in its fifth week, There's Gotta Be More to Life by Stacey Orico. <laughs> Sailor, by the way, one of 13 new entries this week, as well as the artists I previously mentioned also coming up are songs from Mystique, Radiohead, The White Stripes and Bell and Sebastian. But first, here are two more songs returning from previous week's charts. At 37, Swing Low by United Colours of Sound. from 44 in its fourth week on the chart so returning to the top 40 and at 36 down from 26 in its third week sexed up by robbie williams Notable, by the way, that Swing Low by UB40 and United Colours of Sound has come back into the top 40 because, of course, United Colours of Sound included as two of its members, Carrie and David Grant, the vocal mentors from Fame Academy, and two Fame Academy artists are vying it out in the top 10 this week. We have the season two winner with her first track, Alex Parks, with Maybe That's What It Takes, and competing with her in a way that I think is, is quite shady, to be honest, third place runner-up Lamar with his song 50-50, who will win the great battle of the Fame Academies. We will find out, but first, at 35, our second new entry, a double-A side for Kelly Clarkson with Low slash The Trouble With Love Is. But like a drug that makes you blind It'll fool you it seems that the trouble with love is it can only get you to number 35. It's also definitely tempting fate to call your song low, almost destined to chart low in the UK Top 40, although 
Of course, none of that stopped Flowrider from having a number two hit with the song Low in 2007. Really can wait to talk about that particular one. Shane Ritchie gave this single two and a half Shane Ritchie heads out of five in Smash Hits saying the song's all right, but it won't happen here. It's a great tune, but it's very American. She's a lovely looking girl, but it's dot dot dot. Nothing new. It hasn't really grabbed me, I'm afraid. Smash Hits says a little lady, big voice, okay tune. Not as sassy as Miss Independent and a bit middle of the road. Not a great second single for Kelly Clarkson. Her first single in the UK, Miss Independent, got to number six, but this is only getting to number 35. No wonder that she will not release another song in the UK till July 2005. A song, by the way, that definitely manages to get her career back on track. We can find out what that is in 18 months' time. How's that for suspense? Like nearly every song in the charts at this time, the song Low was originally offered to both Britney Spears and Kylie. Previously, we've talked about all of the songs that were offered to Britney, including, of course, many of the songs ended up being recorded by Kylie, including Can't Get You Out of My Head. The songwriters, however, said that they turned it down because it really wasn't a good fit for what they were doing, which is true because they were releasing good music and this is bad. Apparently, the songwriters originally had some apprehension about Kelly Clarkson doing this song, with them saying mostly because it seemed that they were going for a Celine Dion slash Mariah Carey sort of vibe with her. I wasn't sure how it was going to make sense with what I'd heard from the rest of the record. Although they did say in the end that they liked her version. As for The Trouble With Love Is, that is one of the songs that Kelly Clarkson wrote herself for the album. Her first single in the UK, Miss Independent, also being one of those. And apparently this is Kelly Clarkson's mum's favourite of her songs. So, mm. sort your taste out there, love. This woman did release Since You've Been Gone. Although they are being released together, these songs were released separately in the US. The underperformance of the rockier song Low caused the record label to give up on releasing rockier songs for Kelly Clarkson for now. And then that's why the ballad The Trouble With Love Is was released as the last single from the album in the US. And that makes sense because, of course, Kelly Clarkson will never have any success with any Rockier songs in the future. That's called dramatic irony. None of that worked, though, because the song Low got to number 58 on the US Billboard Hot 100 and The Trouble With Love Is did not chart. So not doing well in the US. So why was it released in the UK, you may wonder? Well, because it is one of the many singles that were released to tie in with the film Love Actually. That film was released on the 21st of November 2003, so it's just had its 20th anniversary, which everyone, of course, has celebrated by having a chat with the person that they are doing a porn with. As, of course, happens. The most famous scene in that film. And, oh, no, I'm looking here. Most people just wrote things on cards. Okay. Bit obscure, but sure. Trouble With Love Is, though, is the worst charting of the singles released from the Love Actually soundtrack. Too Lost In You by The Sugar Babes got to number 10. And that's in a few weeks' time. Bill Nye in the character of Billy Mack even managed to have a high hit with Kelly Clarkson when his Christmas-themed cover of, of Love Is All Around gets to number 26. And also released from the Love Actually soundtrack is Jump by Girls Aloud which I'll have to keep listening to this episode to find out how far it goes because it is one of the songs fighting to be in this week's top 10. Two songs that won't be joining it in the top 10, however, are here at number 34 and number 33. 34, down from 16 in its second week, Since I Told You It's Over by the Stereophonics. I'm telling you that your chart run is over. And at 33, Surrender Your Love by Javeen, aka Surrender Your Place in the Chart. Surrender your love, baby. Surrender your 
bye bye to Javine and Stereophonics for now. And hello to Belle and Sebastian, who at 32 are telling us to step into my office, baby. This was a problem with a shanty that I can't say the word baby in a way that doesn't sound like I'm an anorak flasher. So I apologise to anyone who had to listen to that. We need to talk. Step into my office, baby. Wanna give you the job. A chance of overtime. Say my place at nine. She'd never stand for any lies. She's got a laundry full of guys. Stereo Gum said of the song, Step into my office, baby, makes one thing abundantly clear. Bell and Sebastian. Fuck. I think they are talking about the kind of sexy tone of this song. Although, of course, the name of the band Bell and Sebastian comes from a French graphic novel about a boy and his dog. So hopefully they don't fuck each other. Moving swiftly on, though, Houston Press called Step Into My Office Baby one of the top 10 songs to listen to while having sex with co-workers. That's co-workers plural. Maybe there's a different list for if you're having sex with a single co-worker. But this got to number three in that list with them saying we're not big Bell and Sebastian fans but we have to credit them with making the most disarmingly precious tune about sexual harassment ever. The general air of sexual harassment in this song was noted by many critics at the time. Spin magazine for example said the song features what they call hostile work environment double entendres. Double entendres. I have hard difficulty with those French R's. Here's some of those so-called double entendres. Step into my office baby I want to give you the job. Mm. A chance at overtime. Mm, Say my place at nine. Step into my office, baby. I want to give you the job. I've been pushing for... I'm pushing for a raise. Mm, in his pants, I think. And later on, she gave me some dictation, but my strength is in administration. I took down all she said. I even took down her little red dress. We've all seen it played for laughs in old movies, cartoons, or TV. The company president who just can't resist his young female secretary and starts chasing her around and around his office desk. But sexual harassment isn't funny. It can be devastating, personally and professionally, and it's against the law. Good. Now we've all learned why the behaviour mentioned in the song Step Into My Office Baby is inappropriate. I can now tell you that it is from the band's first album for the record label Rough Trade, which is called Dear Catastrophe Waitress, produced by legendary producer Trevor Horn. He, behind songs like Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Relax, The Buggles' Video Killed the Radio Star, and Grace Jones' Slave to the Rhythm. And unsurprisingly, this gave them what many critics called a more produced and radio-friendly sound. And the band also at this point started to appear in their own publicity shots, apparently. It's honestly slightly pretentious that they spent years not appearing in photos advertising their own group. But there we go. The 90s were a different time where even having your photo taken could be considered selling out, it seems. Bell and Sebastian would have four more UK top 40s, making for a total of nine. Their peak in the UK top 40 is still to come when the terribly named song Funny Little Frog makes it to number 13 in January 2006. But for now, we will step out of Bell and Sebastian's office and indeed out of the top 30 because at 31 in its second week down from nine, oof, 22 plays drop there for Ronan Keating with Lost for Words.
doing much better at number 30. Sixth week on the chart, down from 25. The finest of the Spice Girls solo singles, Maybe by Emma Bunton. of songs doing well at 29 in its 12th week on the charts so hitting its third month it's down from 22 it's white flag by dido is Angel City's Love Me Right Oh Sheila that's down from 20 in its fourth week Twenty-seven. A man who, prior to releasing this song, gave us this advert. Hello, Grey High Street. It's raining. Is that good or bad? I know it's bad for shopping. I know. Your hair all rat-tailed and flopping. Mascara and running. Shopping online is much more cunning. Like a smooth fox. Yeah, you do it on a box. Got a computer. My friend, I'm singing about Yahoo. Oh, yeah, because Yahoo shopping makes you feel okay. UK. Yahoo! That's right, who else but the nation's favourite advertising jingle writer, Justin Hawkins. Here he is with his band The Darkness, I Believe in a Thing Called Love, down from 24 in its ninth week on the chart. Since I learnt that Justin Hawkins wrote the Washing Machines Live Longer with Calgon jingle, I've been obsessed with his body of work before giving us, I believe in a thing called love, and one of the big contenders for the 2003 Christmas number one, which we're going to get to talk about in a few weeks, Christmas Time, Don't Let the Bells End. A song that I only realised contained a pun on the phrase bell end about a week ago. But you know what they say, if not knowing that the song Christmas Time, Don't Let the Bells End, contains a secret penis phrase was a crime then i'm guilty that was a perfectly seamless transition into the fact that guilty by blue is at number 26 down from 17 it's fifth week by the way to 
25, we have a former number one in its sixth week on the chart, Hole in the Head by Sugar Babes, which let's play that and then talk about these songs that are trying to match its chart position and become this week's number one. Last week's number one was Busted's Crash the Wedding. Their first number one single, You Said No, only got one week at the top spot. And it seems possible that their second number one could follow suit, especially because there are some big people trying to get that top spot this week. Who is among them? Well, let's start with the great Fame Academy fight. In season one of Fame Academy, Lamar came in third place behind Sinead Quinn and David Snedden. Sinead Quinn had a number two hit with I Can't Break Down before... Her second single struggled to get into the top 20, whereas David Snedden managed a number one hit and a number three hit before he faded into irrelevancy. So will Lamar be able to match Snedden and get another top five hit? Or will he be like Sinead and crash and burn with only his second single? Well, he's got a good chance. His song 50-50 is a banger. It's got a great thing in the video where he does a five on one side of his hand and then turns his hand around and does another five to represent 50-50 with genius marketing like that. Who could stop him? Well, the answer is Alex Parks, the season two winner of Fame Academy, with her debut single, Stop Living the Lie by David Snedden, sold 108,000 copies in its first week at number one in January 2003. But Fame Academy Season 2 was nowhere near as successful as the first one. It struggled to compete with Season 2 of Simon Cowell's Pop Idol on ITV. So it remains to be seen whether Alex Parks can match the sales of Stop Living the Lie and get a number one. Although, I personally think that maybe that's what it takes. Maybe that's what it takes. It's a much better song. She's a lesbian. She's LGBT rights. Let's wish the best for her. Send our good wishes back in time 20 years ago. Of course, they are not the only reality TV contestants fighting for that number one spot. The band who preceded David Snedden to the number one spot earlier in this year were Girls Aloud with Sound of the Underground. And they are coming for another Fame Academy winner this week because, as I mentioned earlier, Jump is the fourth Girls Aloud single. They've had a bit of an unfortunate run in the chart so far in that every song has done slightly worse than the last one. Their first song, Sound of the Underground, a number one hit. No Good Advice, their second song, a number two hit. And Life Got Cold, a number three hit. So they'll be hoping to reverse that trend with their cover of the Pointer Sisters Jump. But will it have what it takes to leap? into the top spot or will the Pet Shop Boys manage it? They've had four number ones at this point. I think all of us would agree that what they've called their imperial phase was over by now, but they still could have the juice for one last big hit with their great song, the first single from their greatest hits collection, Miracles. Will one of those songs get to number one this week or will Busted crash the wedding for another week? Well, you keep listening to find out for now. At 24, here is Ludacris with Stand Up. We ain't got nothing to worry about. Whoop. 
Let security carry him out. Watch out for the medallion, my diamonds are reckless. Feels like a midget is hanging from my necklace. I pulled up with a million trucks, looking, smelling, feeling like a million bucks. Past the bottles, the heat is on. We in the huddle, all in that cheech and chong. What's wrong? The club and the moon is full. And I'm looking for a thick young lady to pull. One short shot way to get him out of them pants. Take note to the brand new dance. Our like next this. new entry now is, at 23, a new entry. The hardest button to button by the White Stripes. We were checking it out. It was a baby boy. So we bought him a toy. It was a rake And it was 1981. We named him Baby. He had a toothache. He started crying. It sounded like an earthquake. It didn't last long because I stopped it. Although 2003 saw the mainstream breakthrough of the White Stripes, their song Seven Nation Army, which we talked about at the very beginnings of this podcast, got to number seven. It does not mean that 2003 was altogether a good year for the White Stripes because both Meg and Jack White this year found themselves breaking bones that led them having to postpone promotion for their album. First in March, drummer Meg White broke her wrist after slipping on some ice, leaving her to have to wear a cast, something that's a bit difficult to do when you're a drummer. Kind of ironic because the album Elephant features Meg singing on a song called In the Cold Cold Night. Come to me again in the cold cold night. The only thing she's coming to again in the cold cold night is the emergency room. Because <laughs> she broke her wrist on some ice. So then, just as that had healed, Jack White found himself in a pretty nasty car accident in August, which led to the band having to pull out of all their UK festival shows after he broke one of his fingers. He said that his left arm was so bad that he couldn't even tie his shoelaces, although he felt lucky that the incident wasn't a lot worse. He said in an interview with Enemy, this 75 to 80 year old woman drove right out in the middle of the street, right in front of us. There was nothing I could do to get away from it. It was lucky that there was nobody seriously injured. By the way, also in that car at the time was his Oscar winning girlfriend of the time, the actress Renee Zellweger. They both starred together in the film Cold Mountain this year. He said of his finger, I looked down and saw it was just destroyed. I I immediately thought, that's not going to be good, is it? It was a multiple fracture, which means I didn't actually go through the skin, but it shattered inside the finger. I can't write, I can't play piano, I can't play guitar, I can't do anything creative. Apparently then the incident got even worse. Those of a squeamish disposition may want to skip ahead a few seconds. Apparently the bones started pushing apart from each other rather than healing together, which meant the doctors had to insert metal screws which meant even more recovery time for Jack White that was when they had to pull out of the Reading and Leeds festivals although who wants to go to Reading or Leeds I'd break my finger just to avoid it but now nothing can stop them from releasing the song the hardest button to button what exactly is the hardest button to button you may ask yourselves well Jack says on the e- White Stripes FAQ page, there's a button at the top of my navy peacoat and it's the hardest button to button. I thought that was a great metaphor for the odd man out in a family. This song, of course, being about a the youngest member of a family who does something unspeakable to another member of the, the family and then gets shunned. Very eccentric thing to put in a song, which is all we could expect from the White Stripes. If you've never seen it, I really recommend you do. The song The Hardest Button to Button has an amazing stop motion video in which the band basically move across New York's sidewalks as they call them, sidewalks, on a series of stop motion drum kits that follow them as they walk. This was done over 
three 16-hour days of filming, so nearly two days worth of filming with 32 identical drum kits, 32 amplifiers and 16 microphone stands. Fun fact about this, they actually had to buy all of the drum kits because they couldn't get enough of them to rent. Then they ended up donating them all to a music school after a shoot with the worry that fans were just going to put them all on eBay. But those kind of crazy videos are the things you can do when you are at the peak of your mainstream success. The White Stripes will go on to have seven UK top 40s in total, including four top 10s. As I said, their peak so far, number seven, which is where Seven Nation Army got to. But this song is only peaking at number 23 behind at 22 in its fourth week, Atomic Kittens. If you come to me. Maybe we can work it out. Cause this is how I Pun on come to me and they're called Atomic Kitten and you would summon a cat. Now would you like me to be the cat? Don't know. You'd have to ask Liz, Natasha and Jenny. What I can tell you though is at 21, just missing out in the top 20, for the first time in her career actually in the UK, here is another double A side, When You Kiss Me slash Up. You took the weight of the world off my shoulders. Here by that upwards intonation. This, of course, ends in, in an exclamation mark, which of course means that this song is by Miss Shania Twain. The Wikipedia page for the song When You Kiss Me includes the line Kiss Me was released as a double A side with Up, but was overpowered by the latter single. Wow, someone not a fan of When You Kiss Me. I think that's a definite case of citation needed, Wikipedia. Perhaps why that's this song only getting to number 21, as I said, the first Shania Twain song not to make the top 20. A big fall from her peak, which was the songs in a row of That Don't Impress Me Much and Man I Feel Like a Woman both getting to number three in the chart. It's almost like we could say to Shania, okay, so you only got to number 21. That don't impress me much. Only getting to number 21, in fact, even though this was released as Shania Twain's first DVD single. What phrase says 2003 more than DVD single? If you bought that, you would get to see the video for When You Kiss Me, the audio of Up, for some reason they couldn't, even though you were probably paying like £10 for this thing, you couldn't get both videos. You also got the audio of the Metro Remix Extended of When You Kiss Me and an excerpt of the video for Up. Quite why they couldn't just put the whole thing on, not sure. Maybe if they had, they'd have a top 20 hit right now, but they don't. In fact, generally, things on the slide for Shania Twain, of course, come on over the biggest selling album of the 90s in the world, but she will only have one more top 10 hit in the UK charts and only three more top 40s. The most recent of which was actually in 2023 in her duet with Anne-Marie Unhealthy, got to number 18, a song I'll always, I will always despise, not for anything it has done musically, but because the day that Padam Padam came out, I went to work at the BBC as usual. And they had a stage outside the one show. So I was like, oh my God, Kylie's gonna do a performance of Padam Padam on the one show tonight. I need to stay until 7.30 to watch that. Usually finish at six. So just pissing about for an hour and a half in Broadcasting House, only to find that it is Anne-Marie performing. It's a bit like someone promising you lasagna for tea and then you get home and they've just done a dump in a plate. So never forgive Shania Twain or Anne-Marie for that. And clearly the chart buying public weren't that much impressed with Shania Twain here at 21. The song Up, 
however, does have a part in cultural history because in January 2003, Shania Twain performed it at the halftime show of the Super Bowl, in which she hilariously co-headlined with the band No Doubt, the ska band with the had Gwen Stefani as its lead singer, of course, and Sting. I have to say, your Madonnas, your JLo's and Shakira's, your Beyonce's are all very well and good, but I do kind of miss when the Super Bowl just threw together a load of random acts and all got them to perform like 45 seconds of a song. Some highlights from that trend. In 1997, the Super Bowl was headlined by the Blues Brothers, the fictional band of harmonica playing deadbeats, ZZ Top, the real band of bearded hard rockers and James Brown, the king of funk. And if that was incongruous enough, in 2000, Super Bowl attendees could enjoy the power combination of Phil Collins, Christina Aguilera, Enrique Iglesias and Tony Braxton. And then in 2001, Aerosmith, NSYNC, Britney Spears, Mary J. Blige and Nelly all went together. Yes, a superb owl for Shania Twain, but not superb enough to get into the top 20. She's been beaten by Down From Eleven in its second week, Fortune Faded by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. point we have eight more new entries to talk about one of which i didn't mention a serious contender for the number one spot this week is mandy the barry manilow cover by westlife if they get to number one that will be their 12th uk number one girls aloud were able to fight off one syrupy boy band when they beat one true voice to number one in 2002 will they be able to take on another we will find out as we head into the top 10 but first at 19 Superstar by Jamelia, doing very well in its 10th week, only down 1 from 18. And speaking of 18, that is, in its 4th week, down from 12, Pink with Trouble. in an interview around this time said that she met Pink backstage at a award show and she promised to write a song for her although sadly that song has never materialised we can't see what would happen when two iconic short-haired girlies of 2003 teamed up however we can know what happens when the evil energies of Will I Am and Fergie team up because in its 14th week leaving the top 10 for the first time after three and a half months at 17 where is the love by black eyed peas Got me, got me questioning, where is 
also dropping out of the top 10 this week at 16 in its second week past that dutch by missy elliott and Missy Elliott is going to pass that Dutch right on to our next new entry, Radiohead, with 2 plus 2 equals 5. That's maths. Around this time, NME reported on a hilarious project done by the East Bay Express newspaper in which they played Radiohead to a series of elementary school pupils and asked them to draw pictures of what it made them think of. I will post these pictures onto our Twitter, at 2000 Chart Show. The journalist said the kids consented to this experiment if only because their teacher told them to. They did, however, request that we played Sean Paul or 50 Cent instead. Big insight into what the eight-year-olds in America were into in 2003. The class will play a selection of tracks from across the band's six albums, including songs from their 2003 album, Hail to the Thief. The journalist said, in order to solicit an honest opinion about Radiohead, you'd have to find the proverbial people living under rocks. As people living under rocks are unavailable, we use fifth graders. They don't know anything about Radiohead. Yeah, this guy's funny. I like him. But these pictures certainly aren't funny. They're, in fact, incredibly disturbing. I'll try and describe them to you. This is from Jeffrey, nine years old. I realise visual imagery, great for podcasting. Includes a man drowning in a waterfall of blood, the Grim Reaper, watching people hang and shoot themselves, and what seems to be an evil game of bingo. Another person drew a picture of a, what looks like a pipe organ, a skull and crossbones, a ghost, some McDonald's fries, an evil eye, a crocodile, a cactus, and a big black blob. That was Adam 10. Whereas Daniel 10 drew a 10,000 foot ice cream. He must have noticed what Radiohead called the optimistic sound of Hell to the Thief. They originally wanted to call the album The Gloaming, but then thought that it was too upbeat sounding. So yeah, maybe Daniel 10, you are a uh, music critic in the making. But the music may have been up- upbeat, but Tom York, the listener of Radiohead, remained angry. He got in trouble for 2003 for calling the American government a bunch of religious maniac bigots. And Hail to the Thief was one of the things that protesters shouted at George W. Bush after his 2000 election, which some claim that he stole from his challenger Al Gore. Tom York says it struck me as the most amazing powerful phrase regardless of the circumstances it will annoy me if people say it's a direct protest because I feel really strongly that we didn't write a protest record although of course the phrase 2 plus 2 equals 5 comes from George Orwell's classic book 1984 to describe how the totalitarian state was so powerful that they could make people believe even things that were palpably untrue which obviously definitely has nothing to do with the search for weapons of mass destruction in the Middle East around this time definitely not a direct protest there Thomas York in fact and also of course Tom York part of the protests attended by a million people against the war in Iraq around this time this led Noel Gallagher to issue one of his usual dull-headed quotes in which he said that protest is a waste of time Tom York replied in enemy with the beautifully savage he needs to read some books I know there may be a lot of you out there who don't care about Radiohead, but let's be honest, if, I don't know, Erica Jane said that about Countess Luan, you'd have it tattooed on your eyeballs. 
So I think we need to give Tom York the credit he is due for being the Shady Queen of the Week. But it's not like Radiohead have not had enough credit in this world, of course. Their album OK Computer, often called one of the best albums of all time, and they will have two more UK Top 40s, although their last Top 10 single is behind them because when they're there got to number four in June 2003. Listen back to our episode then to hear about it. That was their last time that they hit the top 10. Although honestly, it's pretty mad that they managed to get seven top 10s at all because it's not like they ever made After Creep a conventional radio song. So you have to give it to them really. The 90s were cool. You know, this is the 2000s chart show, but the fact that something like Radiohead's Paranoid Android gets to number three in 1997, around the same time as like Spice Up Your Life is coming out. It's pretty cool, isn't it? But we can't talk about the 90s. We need to talk about bumming in a truck at 14 in its third week, down from seven. Blazing Squad, flip reverse. Wow, 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 indeed. 13, another new entry and a sad moment for the podcast. Obviously, we love reveling in the failure of flop boy bands. See, for example, the band Fix, which in their fourth week are down at at 53, down from 36. But we never like the sad demise of a great girl band. And so here is, I'm sad to say, the last ever UK Top 40 hit for Mystique with Style. With some jeans, uh, that's just how it is. I need a good lover to do me right. Somebody that can turn me on. My girls say I'm crazy, and what I should go with you. Think you're so amazing, that's the only thing to do. Hey, say I'll be sorry, you'll regret it if you don't. You don't have to worry, I know exactly what from the BBC documentary The Salon, reviewed this in Smash Hits and gave it five Salon heads, saying they could have seven heads. They're cool, I could dance to this. And Louis from The Salon said, I love them, I prefer the stuff they release first, but this is still cool. In fact, Smash Hits wanted us all to know if we were as cool as Mystique in their summer quiz special and another of their iconic flowchart quizzes. I will put this on our social media, including our Instagram at the 2000s chart show. But for you, I'm going to play and find out if I am as cool as Mystique. I'm not sure what I win. My dignity, maybe. Okay, here we go. Start. Are friends more important than boys? What if the f- your friends are boys? Smash hits. Mm. Anyway, yes. Do you love shopping? Yes. Do you make people laugh? Well, that's hard to say. Maybe you've been sitting in stone dead silence out there, but let's say yes. Do you hate it when you break a nail? Nail biter. So... This rarely happens, but no. Do you love girls' nights in? I'm going to say no, because I think that's reductive, gender-wise. Do you always read smash hits? Uh, Well, as long-time listeners to this podcast know, when I find pieces from it every week, the answer is yes. Do you spend all your money on clothes? No, I spend all my money on old issues of smash hits and charity shop CD singles. And do you love to flirt? (laughs) Mm, Of course, yes. So I can reveal that I am not as cool as Mystique, but I am as cool as Atomic Kitten, apparently. When you try to be stylish, you're always fooled by a mistimed pop or food spillage. The latter of those is true, actually. Much to the amusement of you and your mates, but you're too busy having fun to care about whether people think you're cool or not. 
great. Good for me. And certainly if I'm an Atomic Kitten, at least I'm going to get a few more top 10 hits. It's not what we can say for Sabrina, Alicia and Sue Elise, but they maybe didn't care because they were getting money at this point in 2003 for being the, the spokesperson of what were called Flavor Dolls. Flavor. You know it. Now change your flavor to fit your mood. Your flavor is always true. You can collect all six of the Flavor's crew in street or sport. Dolls do not move on their own. Each doll sold separately. They were the spokespersons of this brand, which they tried to launch in the UK as an alternative to Bratz, everyone's favourite group of slutty dolls. And that's not to slut shame them, by the way, that's a compliment. Yes, these were urban slash hip-hop inspired dolls with baseball caps they were wearing sideways, baggy jeans, et al. There were six flavour dolls, apparently. Keone Brown, she's the only one who gets a full name for some reason. Tika, T-I-K-A. Liam, <laughs> did they run out of ideas for that one? Peebo. Oh no, they still had ideas. And Trey, and the sixth member was called Happy D, to which I say, a Happy D is definitely a euphemism for an erection. Not a great idea for a kid's toy. Apparently, upon release, flavours were poorly received and were criticised for being stereotypical bad role models and a misrepresentation of hip-hop culture. And as a result, they had sales that one report at the time called disastrous, leading to them being discontinued within a year, which actually means that Mystique technically lasted a little longer than them. Although this is their last UK Top 40, they would spend much of 2004 trying to break America. Their song Scandalous, a number two hit in the UK, got to number 35 on the Billboard Hot 100 after being released as the theme of the notoriously terrible film Catwoman. However, as we've mentioned before, in 2005, their record label Telstar Records went bankrupt, meaning they had no management, and then they decided to split up in 2005. Alicia Dixon would go solo in 2006 and release the song Lipstick, one of the most underrated songs of the 2000s, in my opinion. And then, after a few more songs that did okay, after she was on Strictly, The Boy Does Nothing, Breathe Slow, she of course became a professional reality TV judge, which seems to be all that she does now, even though Mighty Hoopla must be literally begging her for a Mystique reunion. As for Sabrina, she had a less successful career. She came sixth on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here in 2009. She won the celebrity haircutting competition Celebrity Scissorhands in 2008 and released a debut solo single called OMG in 2010, which apparently spent three weeks at number one in Poland, although didn't trouble the UK charts at all. Quite why Poland loved Sabrina from Mystique, we don't know. As for Sue Elise, her Wikipedia worryingly features nothing that happened after 2009 so all I can say is I hope she had a nice 14 years. Apparently she at some point opened the Sue Elise Stage School, a very flop pop star thing to do, asked Jonathan Wilkes or Lisa Scott Lee but I have no idea if that is still open. If you've learned how to do I don't know a cartwheel and jazz hands at Sue Elise Stage School please let us know at the 2000 chart show at gmail.com but all of that that is to come for now Mystique are releasing their last song in the UK style based around as you may have heard in the clip a sample from the the song West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys, meaning that there are two songs written by the Pet Shop Boys on this week's chart because their song Miracles is still to come. I get the feeling that the Wikipedia editor for the entry for Style by Mystique may have been desperate for something positive they could say about it because they featured this line. It became the first single not to enter the UK top 10, but Style also reached number 18 in Finland, becoming the group's second and most successful single on the Finnish chart. Unfortunately, in the UK, it may have been a hit on the Finnish chart, Get ready for this. But in the UK, it was their chart finish. I swapped the 
words around. Yeah, good. There we go. They are at number 13, missing out on the top 10 for the first time in their career with them behind in its third week a former number one single at 12 Kylie Minogue with Slow Six new entries still to come, one of which just missing out on the top ten at eleven. A new entry for Enrique Iglesias with Addicted. exactly is he addicted to it seems that he's addicted weirdly enough to the oc star misha barton who plays his girlfriend in this in the video for addicted the lyrics say baby i'm addicted i'm out of control but you're the drug that keeps me from dying baby i'm a liar okay so are you addicted on or are you lying you know but all i really know is you're the reason i'm trying rhyming with dying but none of those are my favorite lyric from addicted which is the following oh there's a storm in my head and it rains on my bed now Enrique, if you're listening and i know you're a big fan when you're sitting there tending the wounds that you got from trying to catch a drone that sliced off the tips of your fingers yeah that really happened is when you say a storm in my head and it rains on my bed is that a euphemism for tears or a euphemism that says you're pissing in your bed because we must know either way Enrique Iglesias, not the greatest lyricist, which is a shame, but the album that this is from, his seventh album, the brilliantly and originally titled Seven, uh, saw Enrique writing or co-writing every single track. And if Addicted is anything to go on, that's a concern. Although I will say his duet with Khalees, which we'll talk about in a few months, does slap. In the video... Enrique Iglesias is, appears as, this is from the Wikipedia, as a jail prisoner who receives limited visitations with restricted contact from Barton, Misha Barton from the OC, impl- implying he is addicted to her and cannot have as much as her as he wants. At the end of the video, it is realised that there is no prison. He simply is addicted to her. That makes no sense to me what that means, and so no choice now but to watch the video and see what that means. I'll skip ahead a bit. You can listen to my spin-off podcast, Samuel Spencer watches Enrique Iglesias videos for that. That's not real. Don't look for it and don't ask for it. Okay. Advert for the iPhone 15 first. Not very 2000s, is it? I hate these new long YouTube ads, by the way. Okay, yeah, this is the beginning. It looks like he is in a prison. There are just some handcuffs on the floor, which is not really how handcuffs work. Then it was leave them there because then you could batter someone with them. Misha Barton's come to the prison, it seems, in a fur coat and a bra, which is not great great fashion for a prison visit, I would say. Okay, then it, it flashback to the two of them snogging. We get the classic prison thing. He's doing the phone call. They're putting their hands to each other on the glass. Skipping ahead again. Oh, wow. Okay. So we're in the prison and then the camera zooms out and we realise that the prison only exists within Enrique Iglesias' eye. The implication being that it's all existing in his mind and he's just thinking about what he would do if Misha Barton left him. I guess that does communicate what the Wikipedia description said, but it's not a very elegant way of making that point. Also nice to see a little bit of product placement there because there's a big, very prominent bottle of Belvedere vodka on the table in the not prison section. I would say that makes too much of a association between Belvedere vodka and toilet hooch 
but then I'm not part of the product team of Belvedere. At this point, Enrique may be missing out on the top 10 this week, but he has had four UK top 10s. Bailamos got to number four in August 1999. I think that's, in my opinion, Enrique's best song. His duet with Whitney Houston, Could I Have This Kiss Forever, got to number seven in October 2000. Escape got to number three in April 2002. And of course, earlier that year, of course, in late 2001, he would get to number one, his so far only UK number one with Hero. We'd love to hear my impression of the end of the song Hero by Enrique. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, I'm available for weddings and bar mitzvahs. He has six more UK top tens to go, by the way, including Do You Know, brackets, the ping pong song, the song in which, if you listen closely enough, you can hear Enrique Inglaser's his naked balls slapping against his thighs. Of course, the story of that being that he said that he recorded the ping pong ball sound at the beginning of the song, playing ping pong naked in the recording studio very Daniel Beddingfield coded of him another person who loved to mildly let's in my opinion sexually harass people by forcing them to watch his flaccid cock flapping about while he recorded vocals Enrique 11 though takes us into our top 10 where Lamar Alex Parks Westlife and the Pet Shop Boys are all fighting it out for the top spot and one of those new entries is here at number 10 so without further ado here is our top 10 new entry this week Rivers flow faster and cleaner It is Miracles by the Pet Shop Boys, a great song, although I do prefer the very postmodern B-side of this song, is a song called We're the Pet Shop Boys, which was originally a song by a band called My Robot Friend. And then wittily and postmodernly recorded by the Pet Shop Boys. Then, weirdly, covered again by Robbie Williams with backing vocals from the Pet Shop Boys. So, with every turn, the Pet Shop Boys being arch and postmodern there with a great song. And that B-side helping Miracles to become one of the Pet Shop Boys' 22 top 10 hits in the UK. They've had a great run of chart at the charts. 44 UK Top 40 singles and four number ones in the 80s. In 86, West End Girls. 87, It's a Sin and Always on My Mind. And in 1988, their song Heart. A song written, of course, about their favourite radio station that employs Jamie Theakston and Amanda Holden, probably. Surprisingly, though, fun fact about the Pet Shop Boys, only one UK number one album, which was a very in 1993. Less than expected. No joke there, just just chart facts, which is what we do sometimes. Pet Shop Boys, this is their penultimate top 10 hit. They only have one more to go, but they do have eight UK Top 40s still to go. I have an interesting history with the Pet Shop Boys. I wonder if there's any other LGBTQ plus identifying listeners who had this. A band I was a little bit scared of listening to because they were their lead singer was an out gay man. And so I subconsciously think I thought that liking them would out me as gay, which meant I was really, for quite a long time, missed out on the Pet Shop Boys, who are the most me-coded band possible. They're a synth-pop 
double act who sing ironic lyrics with lots of UK pop culture references. I remember, especially at this time, I think in 2004, we heard this song, their song Flamboyant, having to avoid when they were doing their promotional tour, any of my parents hearing me listen to it, even though it was a song in which they were being bitchy about Victoria Beckham. So it was perfect for me, but unfortunately, internalised homophobia stopped me from enjoying the Pet Shop Boys. But it's not too late for all of you guys to explore the incredible Pet Shop Boys catalogue. I recommend for places to start, left to their own devices. We talked about Trevor Horn earlier, another one of his great epic productions. You can listen to their demo of The Loving Kind, their song that ended up being released by Girls Aloud, and you can listen to their song The Pop Kids, which is about making friends with people who love pop music as much as you, which is really what we're doing here on this podcast, so it all ties up. If that all wasn't enough to love the Pet Shop Boys, there's also the fact that Neil Tennant, the lead singer of the Pet Shop Boys, used to be the assistant editor of Smash Hits in the 80s. This meant that he was responsible for the coining of some iconic pop phrases that we definitely are going to use now that I've looked into them. As I mentioned previously in this episode, he invented the concept of the imperial phase, which was it's the point at which a pop band have both critical and commercial success at once and can feel that they can do no wrong. Many artists have had their imperial phase. Taylor Swift arguably is in hers right now. Lady Gaga had hers. Madonna, Beyonce, all all the leading pop stars have one. And that came from writing from Neil Tennant. He also created, created the incredible phrase down the dumper. The dumper apparently was the bag where Smash It's writers would put the promotional singles that none of them wanted. So if a song is going down the dumper, that means that it, the band, is becoming bad. They also apparently were the first time that the UK press featured the phrase police, spelled P-U-R hyphen capital letters lees, that apparently means, that apparently indicates campish horror. He was also the first person to apparently describe a band as a pervy synth duo. He used that to describe the Eurythmics, and of course, inevitably, it was used to describe the Pet Shop Boys. He also invented a classic Smash Hits phrase, like Punk Never Happened, which they would use any time any 80s band did something particularly kitschy or extravagant. Definitely one we can add to the 2000 chart show lexicon. You know, Dido's white flag spending four months on the UK charts, so like Punk Never Happened. See, it works perfectly. So we have a lot to thank Neil Tennant definitely being added to the 2000 Chart Show Hall of Fame and Miracles getting into the Top 10 Hall of Fame, but not being able to be a former number one in its fifth week on the chart at nine, Fat Man Scoop and the Crooklyn Clan with Be Faithful. All the good looking women sing along. I can't hear Meanwhile, we have in its second week down from six, Hey Ya by Outcast. like a worrying drop 
for Outcast. You might expect it to fall out of the top 10 quite soon. In fact, it will in two weeks drop out of the top 10. However, then it will stay in the chart and five weeks later goes back in the top 10 where it stays for nine weeks. A huge, about to have huge success, but at the moment stuck at number eight, down from six. Hey, I'll be Outcast. Behind another song, big hit in its sixth week, still at number seven, holding on, down from three, Kevin Little with Turn Me On. But if you think you're gonna get away from me You better change your mind You're going home You're going home with me tonight Let me hold you Go caress my body You got me going crazy You turn me on Turn me on Let me charm you Go wine order on me You got me going crazy You turn me on Turn me on Maybe Kevin Little But he's gonna have a <laughs> large chart run <laughs> may have probably said that joke last week didn't i i honestly i record some of these in a days i don't know what i'm saying i don't know what day it is i know i've got a sore throat coming on hopefully i sound like tom waits i don't know all i know is that at six we have me against the music britney spears featuring madonna down from two in its second week I promised you extracts from Britney Spears' autobiography about me against the music. Unfortunately, I haven't found a way to illicitly record the audiobook version, so I will give you a dramatic reading of how she says that Madonna led to her wanting more independence in her career. The record company was lukewarm on my new song, Me Against the Music, a song I loved. I'd just done I'm a Slave for You on my last record, and Barry Weiss, who ran the label, wanted more songs like that. But I was pushing for Me Against the Music. Hard. Then what if we do a feature on it, I said. A song can become a massive hit because of the event that drives it. I thought if we could find someone to be on the song, we could create a story around it. Who do you want to feature, my my manager asks. Her, I said, pointing across the room to Aunt Madonna. They're at the backstage of the VMAs, by the way. Let's get her on the song. Holy shit, he said. Yeah, that'd work. Oh, getting Madonna on a song would work, you said. So I went over to Madonna. Let's talk, I said. I told her how much fun it would be to do the song with me and how I thought we could help each other. It was something that would benefit us both. She agreed. Me Against the Music is still one of my favourite songs and the collaboration with her is part of what makes it so memorable. On the first day of our shoot for the songs video, which was to last two or three days, we were told a seam had come and done on Madonna's white suit and a seamstress had to be called to fix it so there would be a delay in our start time. I wound up having to sit in my trailer for hours waiting for the suit to be fixed. Really, I thought? I didn't even know taking so much time for oneself was an option. If I broke a heel on my shoe, I would never make production take the five minutes to let me fix it. I would do whatever the director told me to do, even though I had to hobble off onto the set without a heel, even if I had to show up barefoot. During our shoot together, I was in awe of the ways Madonna would not compromise her vision. She kept the focus on her. Going along with Madonna's ideas and being on her time for days was what it meant to collaborate with her. It was an important lesson for me, one that would take a long time for me to absorb. She demanded power and so she got power. She was the centre of attention because she made that the condition of her showing up anywhere. She made that life for herself. I hoped I could find ways to do that while keeping the parts of my nice girl identity that I wanted to keep. Who needs Michelle Williams, eh? That has destroyed my throat reading that. You're welcome, guys. However, Britney Spears obviously did not quite have control of her career at this time. One of the humiliating things she was asked to do was front a campaign in which she told people about the evils of downloading tracks. The music that I made is my bait. If you create something and someone takes it away without your permission, they steal it. Legally downloading music is the same thing as going into a CD store and stealing a CD. To us, it's black and white. Either you pay for it or you don't. Straight up and down, it's stealing. 
something obviously I would never do. Britney Spears at number six means that we have four new entries in the top five. That is a strong week. And of course, that other non-new entry is last week's number one, Crash the Wedding. Well, that song is at least at number four because at number five, a new entry, he hasn't been able to beat the Fame Academy winner with 50-50 slash lullaby. Here's Lamar. You say you got nothing else to hide. How come she told me she saw somebody by your side? Still though, shady, shady Lamar for releasing a single the same week as the Fame Academy winner. It really feels like the record label saw that Fame Academy 2 was a bit of a flop and they thought, oh, we generate some headlines if Lamar is able to beat the winner. Either that or he was bitter that he didn't win and so was like, I'm going to take this girly down. Each of which, shady, shady Lamar. Yeah, Shady Shady Lamar is going to be your new nickname on this podcast. That is your punishment for trying to outseat Alex Parks, my queen. Especially trying to unseat her with a double A side that includes a song that you literally released on the Fame Academy album like two years previously. That song is Lullaby, co-written with his Fame Academy co-star Ainsley Henderson. The amount of times that I listened to the Fame Academy album in the car, by the way, when I was a kid. I probably listened to Marley from Fame Academy's version of Genie in the Bottle from that album more than I actually listened to the Christina Aguilera version. I was weirdly obsessed. Me, weirdly obsessed in 2000s pop. Who could fathom it? The Salon people gave this five Salon heads out of five in Smash Hits saying, this is good, I like R&B and I like Lamar too. He's a bad boy. Mm, Not sure about that. We could dance to this in the salon. I think Lamar has a bit more cred to him. His look is pretty street and urban. We like this track a lot. So you could say, huh, they weren't 50-50 on it. <laughs> That's a weird, it's a weird phrasing, by the way. The fact this song's called 50-50. You know, step back, don't try and kiss me. Right about now I'm 50-50. Basically saying he's he's torn in his mind. He's so angry with this person because she's been hanging around with another guy that he is split in his mind exactly between whether he should leave her or whether he should stay with her. At least that's what he thinks that the phrase right about now I'm 50-50 means, but I think it works much better as a way of coming out as bisexual. So any of you who feel that you may love both men and women out there, firstly, welcome to the community, the LGBTQ plus community. But secondly, I ask you, sit your parents down, look them in the eye, play them your CD single of 50-50 by Lamar. And after it just says right about now I'm 50-50, say yeah so that's that's what i am any questions they'll definitely understand what you mean so thank you lamar for your contribution to bisexual coming outs everywhere and number four we have last week's number one which means that we again have a new uk number one but first here is in its second week crash the wedding by busted Smash Hits in its summer quiz special had a how much do you know about busted quiz? Let's take it together, of course. Question one, how long did Charlie have a Porsche before it got smashed? A, two days, B, two months. Always go for the one that is most dramatic, I guess. So A, two days, that is correct. Okay, number two, who does Matty support? 
A, West Ham United, or B, Port Vale? Well, I've never heard of Port Vale, so there must be a reason they've put that in. Let's say B, Port Vale. No, that was West Ham United. I'd love to be annoyed, but who gives a shit? And number three, who has James worked on songs for? A, AAA, or B, Backstreet Boys? Gotta support my flop icons, AAA at A. No, unfortunately, that was the Backstreet Boys. That's interesting. Although it seems that his contribution to the Backstreet Boys was called Don't Try This at Home, and would not come out until 2009. However, we can hear a little clip of it here. Another name, just another storm, just another rain. But now nothing feels the same. Yesterday I thought this was solid ground. Just another thing I was wrong about. But I never learned to... Among the other people that... James Bourne from Busted wrote for was McFly. He wrote Five Colours in Her Hair, Obviously, and That Girl, among many other songs for McFly. He wrote a song for Britannia High alongside Gary Barlow, if anyone remembers that flop ITV musical with Maxie from Skins in it. And apparently he also wrote Forever Is Over by The Saturdays. Wow, that was a su- that's a surprise. Yeah, apparently he wrote it for Kelly Clarkson. Wow, how all these things tie up. A running joke at this time in Smash Hits was that Charlie from Busted was very posh. This led Smash Hits to ask him, does he know anyone called Tarquin? To which Charlie says, the ultimate posh boy answer, I know a horse called Tarquin, but no people. Incredible stuff there from the man that Smash Hits knows as Chaswick Busted. But none of that is enough to get them a second week at number one, which means that we have three new entries in the top three positions. That's exciting. Will it be Alex Parks, Girls Aloud or Westlife at number three? Well, I can now reveal that our number three this week, 20 years ago, was Alex Parks not matching David Snedden's Fame Academy winning single, her song that I love, one of my favourite songs of 2003, Maybe That's What It Takes, is only at number three this week. This wasn't, however, through want of trying. Alex Parks was everywhere at this time in 2003, as you may expect from the Fame Academy winner, even if Fame Academy had been a bit of a flop. We learned some fascinating facts from her Top of the Pops magazine interview. Apparently, the actor who played Phil Mitchell used to be her babysitter. She said, He once read me a bedtime story in his really gruff voice. My parents met him when he rented out his house to some students from my dad's art college. It was really funny when I met him again at the TV Quick Awards. She said if it hadn't been for Fame Academy, she would have ended up as a trapeze artist. She said, I learned how to do that. And this was when apparently she did circus skills training because she's a girl from Cornwall and all weird girls from Cornwall have to learn circus skill training. That's a fact. She said, I absolutely loved it. It's even fun falling off because you just bounce back up again. Also, apparently she once learned how to be a tree. She says, all you have to do is find a tree, any tree. It really doesn't matter. And then you have to bond with it. Then you have to take the spirit and mood of the tree and feel what it's like. You have to find the tree inside yourself. Mm, I think this girl might be a little bit too much of a maniac to be a pop star for long. Weirdly, the salon people gave it five stars and smash hits, but then Brooke from the salon said, I wouldn't be able to dance to this and says she sounds a bit Rick Waller. So quite how that gave ended up as five stars, I don't know. At NME, meanwhile, Alex Parks reflected on how weird it was that she'd won Fame Academy. She said, in a way, it's slightly ironic that I won Fame Academy. When you win, you get a posh flat in London and a flash car. But I think of all the people in the Fame Academy, academy house i'm the one who's least interested in all that said the first couple of weeks in the academy were just boring beyond belief we'd sit around all day then they'd give us something like a one hour dance lesson and that would be it and from time to time i thought about just walking out 
She continues, why I was in the house, it came out in the press that I'm a lesbian. I knew people would make a big deal out of it, but I don't really see that it matters. She then throws shades at Tattoo for some reason, saying, I'd like to think I might be putting across a slightly more positive image than Tattoo did. Yeah, but you won't be doing it at number one. Okay. Hmm? Interestingly, the plan was originally to release Maybe That's What It Takes as an A-side with her cover of Mad World, although the record company backed off when they saw the Donnie Darko version starting to do well. And we will see how exactly how well it does in the iconic Christmas chart battle of 2003 in a few weeks. She ends the piece by saying, I can't wait to spread my wings in 2004. And if spread your wings meant release one more song and then get dropped from your record label, then mission accomplished. Especially as signs were already beginning to crack in her relationship in her star persona apparently as soon as she won she had a go at the bbc saying that the broadcaster is trying to own her she told an interviewer they want me to say oh i'm so thankful for everything you've given me but i couldn't give a toss about the flat in the car but my favorite interview question that she gets is from top of the pops who ask her let's play marry snog or push off a cliff with Melo D from blazing squad britney and david snedden to which alex parks iconically says blazing who who are blazing squad is there a guy in there that used to be in five is abs one of them no that no he wasn't alex she says okay i'd marry blazing squad so they can protect me snog britney and push snedden off a cliff love that this girl spending more time on the trapeze than knowing who blazing squad are and i love she's beating shady shady lamar but she isn't beating our number two artist are girls allowed going to get their second uk number one or are westlife going to get their 12th get ready to be disappointed people who think the british record buying public have taste because mandy by westlife is number one which means that girls allowed are stuck at number two with their song jump course their cover of the pointer sister song featured on the love actually soundtrack of which this is the biggest charting song although not charting high enough to get to number one brooke from the salon although she gave it four stars says they've put me off leggings for life which is a pretty funny dig at their slightly dodgy early costumes she says this is another cover does everyone do covers now again doesn't really fit with the fact that they gave it four stars but there we go what it is doing is cementing girls allowed's position as the queens of number two well, maybe the princess is number two because, of course, Madonna is the number one queen of number twos, if that makes sense. She had ten of them, whereas Girls Aloud will go on to have five. This is the second of them. No Good Advice, The Show, Love Machine, and Something New will all also go to number two. If we're honest, the list of their number twos is much better than their list of number ones. I've always thought that the Girls Aloud list of number ones with one exception is pretty terrible. Of course, Sound of the Underground, brilliant, undeniable masterpiece. But then it's I'll Stand By You, which apparently some people like on that recent Electric Angels list of the best Girls Aloud singles. It was on there somehow but i think it's pretty trash walk this way sugar Bays and girls allowed team up was their next number one which i think is kind of campy but not obviously one of their best songs and then the promise is their last one and i have absolutely no time for the promise so brooke from the salon may not have liked their leggings but i kind of do because it, it kind of shows that they were like a very unpolished unmedia trained band at this point for example nadine girls allowed actually said this in an interview and this is a band aimed at children never mind she gave in an advice column that she did i think for nme she said be an open slag rather than a closet slag and be all i would never do that and then go and suck his dick around the corner although of course she said it in her nadine voice so no one understood a word of it be an open slag rather than a closet slag and be all i would never do that and then go and suck his dick around the corner flower is of course how she definitely said it 
NME yearbook of 2003. Previously, they did such weird things as pretending the cheeky girls were the white stripes and asking busted the questions from the Martin Bashir Michael Jackson interview. But they also got Girls Aloud's opinions on the top 10 animal stories of 2003. One of the questions was, sunglasses for dogs are unveiled, they're already popular on the continent, and German manufacturers are hoping they'll be just as successful in the UK. To which Nadine answers, I got my, I won't do the accent again, don't worry. I got my dog Taylor a tiny Harley Davidson denim cap. It's just for entertainment though, dogs don't actually go out wearing them. So yeah, that interview, well worth doing for that. Kimberly, as she usually does, gets the funniest line when she, in a story about a donkey, says, a donkey's like, not quite a horse, it's a rejected horse. Very droll. One thing we can't forget about Girls Aloud from their days as Pop Stars The Rivals contestants was that just exactly how young they were. Of course, the upper age limit on Pop Stars The Rivals was a ancient 24. And this little tidbit from the video, the video shoot for Jump says exactly how young they were. Top of the Pops reports that when she wasn't filming the video, she was reading her driving theory test manual that she was getting ready to learn how to drive. Meanwhile, apparently when bleary-eyed Sarah arrived at the shoot, it took a strong coffee before she'd realised she'd left her outfit back at the hotel. Luckily, a speedy chauffeur rushed back to her wardrobe so we didn't have to shoot Sarah in her birthday suit, although we're sure our snapper wouldn't have minded. (sighs) Classic Sarah. Apparently at this point, they were also working on their own Spice Girls-style movie, which was supposed to be a scary movie-style spoof horror flick. I like to think that this was the what led to the creation of the iconic piece of TV, Ghost Hunting with Girls Aloud. If you see, if you're here, just tap the fucking table. <laughs> but sadly, Girls Aloud will be hunting for a number, another number one for a little bit longer because this week, their 12th time at number one, Westlife with Mandy, everyone's favourite song about MDMA. No, it's not about that. It's about some girl called, you've guessed it, Patricia. No, haha, Mandy. Of course, Brian McFadden, soon to leave leave Westlife, and I'm guessing, from I don't know why I'm getting this idea from some of the press coverage at the time, but Brian McFadden may have already fallen out a little bit with Simon Cowell. Here's an example of what I mean. In an, in an interview with The Sun, they revealed that they were, quote, bullied into recording a version of Barry Manilow's Mandy. Singer Nikki said, Simon said our album was missing that one big song, the one which we reach out to both housewives and teenagers. He recommended Mandy and we went back to the studio and did it. Then Nikki adds, hands up though, it worked out brilliantly. Simon was right. He's got a nasty streak to him though and I don't think he likes the word compromise. We've experienced that firsthand over the last five years. To which Brian added, Simon's like, um, Hitler. In four words there, sealing his doom in Westlife. By the way, in finding that quote, I had to search Simon Cow Adolf Hitler and I came across this Mirror article which says that Simon Cow's face is as famous as Hitler's. In a poll, adults around the world were shown photos of famous faces in history and 95% of them identified Simon Cow, Adolf Hitler and Margaret Thatcher. That's a snog marry avoid to ask Alex Parks, isn't it? The Salon people gave this one star saying, oh God, I haven't even heard it yet, but I don't like it. It's a bit of a slow smoocher. I'm trying to think of something nice to say, but I hate it. Smash Hits, of course, pointing out that when Take That covered Barry Manilow, it was brilliant and this is terrible. Of course, their cover of, of Barry Manilow was Could It Be Magic, one of the gayest songs ever to be released by a group of straight people. Westlife, though, could be fun. In an interview with Abs, he who wasn't in Blazing Squad, no matter what Alex Parks says, said, once said, I once partied with Westlife in Israel. We trashed our room and swapped hotel room numbers on the doors, but all the numbers were in real gold leaf, which we peeled off and totally ruined. So poor Westlife ended up with a £30,000 bill. Hopefully Mandy selling enough copies there to make up for that. With this number one, Westlife got one step closer to beating Cliff Richard, who was next in front of them in terms of UK number one singles. But unfortunately, they will never beat him. Currently, Westlife tied with Cliff Richard with 14 UK number ones. They will go on to have number one hits after Mandy with You Raise Me Up, an absolute scourge 
on the charts and their cover of The Rose. And since then, Ed Sheeran has managed to equal their record. He also has 14 number ones. And that's the most depressing sentence I've ever said. So it may be time to end the podcast. But I will leave you with two more things from the magazines about Westlife. Simon Amstel in Enemy called them the dullest act he had ever interviewed, saying they are unutterably dull. On one occasion, I was doing a true or false quiz with them based on rumours I found on the internet. One rumour is was, is it true that Mark from Westlife is going to adopt a whale to make himself look thin? Little savage. Which sort of ended... Ended the interview, really? Yeah, I would see how it would, Simon. It was like interviewing five coma victims. They can hear what you're saying, but they just can't respond. That hasn't stopped women from across the globe loving them. Smash Hit's letters page featured a beautifully written poem to them, which read, Westlife's boys are so hot. Let me tell you what I've got. Shane is my bop-bop baby. When I see him, I go crazy. Kean is so cool, he'll want to make you drool. Brian has a fabulous smile. My knees go weak for a while. Mark is so brill, he'll give you a wicked thrill. Nikki is so cute. I love him in a suit. He is so for real, you know how he makes me feel. So if I meet them, I'd make some noise, because they're all my uptown boys. They changed my life. I love you, Westlife. So Kirsty from Ireland is going to be thrilled that this week, 20 years ago, Mandy by Westlife was at number one. We'll soon play it. You probably want to skip ahead, but it's there if you want it. First, let's say thank you again for listening. It's a pleasure to give you a weekly dose of pop mania if you want more you can follow us at twitter at 2000 chart show on instagram at the 2000 chart show email us at the 2000 chart show at gmail.com and join us next week as we head ever closer to one of the best christmas number one chart battles of all time but until then here is westlife with mandy see you next week you made me Okay, so you've got a podcast where every week you listen to the... Nope. <laughs> I knew I'd get that wrong. Let's do it again. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Okay, this time I'll get it. <clears throat> okay, so you've got a podcast... Oh, I won't. Okay. Great start to the record here. Okay, so you've got a podcast where every week you relive the UK Top 40 singles chart from 20 years ago. Yes!